Amen. Awesome. So how you guys been enjoying um, this identity series? Um, I must say it's been quite a great, uh, great journey, a great series that we're going through. And uh, how are the devotions going? How is week one devotion going? Going well? Ooh, awfully quiet this morning. How are they going? Pages 18 to 23, those were the devotions we had to do this week, trusting they're going well. If this is your first time or if you're new and you do not have one of those books, maybe would you mind just raising up your hand? Um, we do have a couple of, uh, there we go, we've got a couple of hands. So we, we're going to have a team that will be just uh, handing over the books. And then while you're doing that, we're just going to do a bit of a recap. Um, so over and above the devotions that we're supposed to be going through as we're working through our workbook, um, there are also weekly connect groups that have been going through. Um, I think there should be a picture on the screen just to give an idea of the different connect groups that have been meeting and just working through the book, and it's been such a great week. I would really encourage you, if you're not part of a connect group, you know, option one, join a connect group. Um, option two, if you're not familiar or you don't know of a connect group, I personally invite you to come to, uh, to church on a Tuesday. There's a mega connect group that's happening at, uh, at church. So please, you do not want to miss this fun. It's quite epic. Um, and it's quite good for us as a church, as a group, as a family, to be able to work through this identity book so that obviously we can find our new identity in um, Christ. So just a, uh, a bit of a recap. Last week, Brent spoke about identity gap. And I think it's just good to just really quickly talk about what the identity gap is, because that actually sets a foundation for this journey. So up on the screen, there's about two circles with, with numbers one, two, and three. So if we start with number three, number three talks about what I believe, what you believe. So pretty much I could believe anything that I think might be true, but the reality of it is it doesn't align to what God says. So that's what we looking at when we look at segment three. Segment two is what God sees or what we call God's truth. This is, this is what God sees. This is God's truth. But we don't actually believe it. And then segment one, where the two circles align, that's where, we, where God's truth or what God sees is aligned to what we actually believe. So just to give you an example, there was this advert that I once saw. Um, it was a Dove advert. Um, so what well, Dove that sells the soap. So what they did was they went to a couple of malls around the world, and what they did was at, at the entrance of the mall, they had like two like stickers. So they had the sticker on the one side that says beautiful, and they had a sticker on the other side that said average. So that's how they did it. And then it was quite sad how when people actually approached the different malls all around the world, um, the people who walk in, they look at the sticker and they see beautiful and they see average, and shockingly enough, 9 out of 10 people chose the average door, which was quite shocking. Very few people actually looked up and said, hey, I'm beautiful, so I'm going to walk through the beautiful door. And then they actually did interviews with pretty much a lot of people that walked through the average door. And they said, why did you go through the average door? And it was quite shocking how a lot of people that actually walked through the average door actually said, I wanted to walk through the beautiful door but I just see myself as average. And pretty much, once again, 
just that, 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 that this example that I just shared now is a perfect example of what our lives look like when we're living our identity on segment three, where we allow the world to tell us who we are, we allow the world to tell us, obviously, what our identity is. The beauty about the video was uh, towards the end, there was a mom uh, with a daughter, and then the daughter obviously had earphones, she was walking, she looks up, and then she went through the average, and then the mommy yanked her back, and then they went through um, the beautiful door. And I think just once again, as an introduction, what we're gonna be doing this morning is we just want to once again understand that um, we are, or maybe the title of this message this morning is, we are his child, and he is our father. We are his child, and he is our father. And the reality with that church is, if we look at the word father, or we can use the context mom, but for the sake of this message this morning, we're going to be looking at the word father. If, we, if I use the term father, the term has a positive connotation, also has a negative connotation, once again, depending, for example, on your upbringing. So I'm married to Grace, and uh, we've got a lovely little boy called Levi, and uh, my wife does this thing which I find it's quite cute, actually. So we'd be sitting in the house, and then she'd say, Levi, where's daddy? And then uh, Levi would turn, he'd look at me, and then he smiles, and then just melts my heart. Or also when I'm coming from work, um, he'd see me, and then he does this little crab walk, he's still trying to walk, and he's like, daddy, daddy. But the point, once again, I'm trying to make is, I know he's my child, and he knows that I'm his dad. But once again, that experience is not the same for everyone else. So for example, when we talk of a father figure, your experience was probably someone who, who valued you, someone who protected you, someone who spurred you on into positivity. But then your experience could be also different where maybe the father figure was, was absent. Um, and this is not a good example I enjoy, but I think I need to say it. Or maybe you know, a, a father was absent and what they did was, all they did was just send an EFT to your mom and you grow up feeling like you're just another debit order. The reality I'm trying to make is um, how we interact with our human fathers or human guardians or human parents, we actually reflect that onto our heavenly father. So if the quality is horrible right here on earth, we then obviously fail to understand that there's a heavenly father that actually loves us, that actually obviously sees us as precious, that sees us as his masterpiece. So this morning we're gonna be looking, like I said, uh, in terms of this topic of we are his children, I am his children, and he is my father. So the scripture for this morning, if you have your, your handbooks, please just quickly go to page one. We're going to be reading from our anchor scripture, which is Ephesians 1. And then I'll be reading from, I'll read verse 2 and verse 3, and then I'll jump to verse 17 and then back to 4, but don't worry, I will guide you. So Ephesians 1, if, you are, uh, if you've got your manual on, it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So if you've got your manual, please just circle that word there, our Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 says, praise be to God and Father. So once again, please circle that word, Father. So praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Then if we jump onto verse 17, which is pretty much the prayer for our journey, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, so please also 
circle that word there, glorious Father. So I keep asking that the God of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then lastly, I'll jump back to verse 4, which says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in sight in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus. And the first thing there that we see there, we see a father who has chose us, chose us to be spotless, to be blameless. But the key word which I love there is also we are predestined for adoption. And that's quite beautiful. And the point I'm trying to make is when we accept Christ um, as our Lord and Savior, we are immediately or we are immediately upgraded to sonship. We are immediately upgraded to a daughter. But the reality, church, is as much as that is the truth that we find in the Bible, the way we live our lives is not a representation of the truth. And that is why this morning we're trying to spend time and understand who is this father so that we may obviously be able to get a new identity. And the interesting thing about this and why we, we, we're spending time for us to understand more about the father is when Jesus was on earth, one of the greatest themes that Jesus actually spoke about was about the Father. So, for example, if you read um, in the Gospel of John, you, you'd, you'd see verses where he says, you know, I don't speak of my own. I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. That, that's one of the themes that we see. If you know the Lord's Prayer, how do you start the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer starts by saying, Our Father. Once again, Jesus is emphasizing um, the importance of a Father. Also, if you look at, uh, I think it's John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then if you carry on reading, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So what is Jesus emphasizing? So Jesus is telling us that the ultimate reason for us to follow him, which is the way, is to bring us to a relationship with God, the Father. So until we understand of God as a Father, the reality is we will always have an identity crisis. But then once we start to see God as our father, then obviously segment three, which is the truth that we believe, slowly starts to shift into what God sees. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So the scripture for this morning in terms of understanding who or what, what are the characters that makes God the father is in Luke 15. And I'll quickly just read verse 1 to 2, and then we're going to jump over to 11, uh, verse 11 to 27. So Luke 15, verse 1 to 2 says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen, uh, listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religion law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So quickly you can see there's a, there's a bit of an issue here. So Christ is spending time um, with tax collectors. He's spending time with, with, with sinners. And maybe just a bit of a context. If you were like a tax collector, you would have been isolated. You would have been hated. Because what happened was, if you were a tax collector, you worked for the Roman regime. And your role was to go back to your people and obviously fleece them for tax. That's pretty much what your role is. So if you were a tax collector, you were hated. Uh, chances are you were isolated. So if I look at this group of people that Christ is spending time with, if we look at the world, once again, they would have been cut off fatherless, motherless, don't have people that look after them. And then when we see Pharisees say, but 
Christ, why do you spend time with them? Surely you've got other things to deal with. And then Jesus shares this parable to show us the heart of the Father, to show us that everyone is important. Regardless of what your trajectory might be in life, the Father still loves you. So what Jesus does is he shares this beautiful parable. He starts with the parable of the lost sheep, and he talks about this, this shepherd that, that had a hundred sheep, and he says, but if one sheep gets lost, do you think it's even worth it for the shepherd to go? But then obviously Christ emphasizes the fact that the, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and searches for the one, the one that the world rejects, the one that the world thinks they're not important. The shepherd goes for them. So that's obviously when you lose about roughly 1% of your property. Then he carries on, he drives the, the, the point and he says, suppose you've got 10 coins and uh, out of the 10, you lose one. Uh, once again, you still have nine coins. Is, is there any effort, is it uh, worthy to actually go pursue the one? Christ obviously shows us in this parable that yes, that one is important. And then obviously that coin was found. And then we're going to jump into today's parable. We're going to start from verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son pegged all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed, to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And then verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to, to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a fe feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. So there's four things church would love to just leave us with this morning to help us understand just the heart of the father. And the first thing that we see in terms of what the father is like is the father embraces. He's a father that embraces. I mean, if you read verse 20, I love how it says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him. The reality is, if, if I had to rewrite this story, I mean, think about it for two seconds. Yes, the youngest son is acting like a brat, wants his wealth, takes the wealth, 
off they go, squanders it, and then they're coming back. The reality is, as the sun was coming back, probably he was wearing rags, probably looked dodged, probably was smelly. If I had to rewrite that story, the reality I would have said, first and foremost, when I saw him, I would have went in the, in the room, got the rod of correction, ran to him, give him a little bit of a one, two, three medicine to say, hey, you being an idiot, because that's how I would have written it if I wrote it. But what we see in the story is not the case. We see a father, despite of what the son did to him, he's still filled with love, still filled with compassion, and runs towards his son. And what is Jesus trying to show us here? Jesus is showing us that God is not stiff. I think sometimes we have this, once again, if we think segment three, what we believe, we sometimes think God is stiff. We sometimes think God is uptight. We sometimes think if we turn to him, we have this picture like God is waiting to hip tons of guilt on us when we decide to go back to him. That's the picture that we carry. But Jesus uses a beautiful picture of embrace to say, church, when we make a decision to run back to the father, regardless of what we've done, regardless of what we've went through, uh, the father waits for us with embrace. And that's the one thing that Jesus is trying to show us, that God is not stiff. He's not uptight. He's a father that embraces. I remember, and I've shared this story before, uh, a couple of years when I was still new in Richards Bay, um, there was a point in my life where I worked shifts. So, for example, um, if I needed to catch the bus, I had to be by the bus station at like four in the morning. It was like dodge. It was not safe. So I made a negotiation with my dad. He had an extra car. So I actually, he gave me his uh, second, uh, extra car. And then what happened was this one time I was young, I was stupid. I unfortunately crashed the car uh, in the front and then the, 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 what do you call this, the bumper. The bumper was damaged. Now the problem with this accident was it was any time in the year it was fine. I would have had enough time to fix it. But this was around November and I was sick. I wanted to go home. So I, I contemplated calling my dad to say, you know what, dad, uh, you know what, you know we work 24-7. I'm not coming home this time I, so, so I can hide my shame, so I can hide my guilt. But I don't know, at that point in time, I was just so sick of work. I just wanted to go home. So I decided to go home and my plan was simple. Anyway, when I get home, my dad is hardly outside. Normally I get home, I quickly park the car in the garage. He won't see a thing. And then normally I leave home at like four. So I had the perfect plan. My dad won't find out. I drive home. Funny enough, that day, my dad is washing his car outside. And I'm thinking, are you serious? So anyway, I pull up to my dad. He looks at the bumper. He looks at me. He comes. He, and I'll never forget this moment. He actually gives me a hug. We walked. We looked at the bumper. He says, ah, we'll look at this tomorrow. And then that was it. End of story. And I felt so horrible how I was scheming and plotting. And my dad didn't care about that. But my dad cared about seeing his son. And the first thing, church, I just want to leave you with this morning is he is a father that embraces. And I think this morning, I think the message with that is sometimes we try and make excuses why we can't run back to our father. If you've been making excuses or you've scared, let this point that God is a God that embraces give you the courage to run back to your father. The second thing that we see with the scripture is the father forgives completely. The father forgives completely. If we read verse 21, it says, His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
Now, here's the reality. If you read verse 21, the son is actually right. First and foremost, um, he has sinned against his father. Secondly, he's actually not worthy because what he has actually done is he's taken his dad's wealth, he's squandered it in wild living, and he probably has put his family's um, name to shame by what he has done. So that statement is true, that he's not worthy, he has messed up. But the one thing that we see is when we once again choose to go back to our father, he's a father that forgives completely. But then there's two things that need to happen. The first step is what we call repentance, and it's something that we know. And the point I'm trying to make is one of the truths from this story is we will never know how amazing the father is until we know how rotten we are. We will never know how amazing the father is until we know how rotten um, we are. So, for example, if we think that we are something special and that God is lucky to have us and that we haven't done much wrong, then we will never truly understand how amazing it is. I mean, think about it. The son left his father in arrogance. The, the son left his father obviously bold, having all this wealth. And then when he hit rock bottom, when he got to that point where he realized, I cannot do this anymore, I can't live like this, when he hit rock bottom, he realized, even if I went back to my father as a servant, even if I went back to my father as a slave, his presence is better than where I am. And that's the point I'm trying to make is, until we obviously understand how, how sinful we are, how rotten we are, we will never understand his love. But then the beauty is, when we've gone through that phase where we understand we are not worthy of, of, your, of your presence, when we've done this little speech in our head to say, Lord, we want to we we just be a servant, we get to go back to his feet and we realize, wait a minute, we are actually completely forgiven. You don't go back as a servant, you don't go back as a slave, you are completely forgiven. I mean, that's what the son said when he was contemplating the speech um, when he was in the pigsty. He said, I want to go back. I'd rather be a slave. But what did the father do? Get him a robe, get him a ring. What does the ring symbolize? So what happened then is um, the ring would have what you call like a family crest. So what would happen is if you go in town and you want to buy something, you know, you would probably just, there would be like wax. You would like stamp your family crest and then that bill will be sent to your father. Now think about that for two seconds. He's already been given all his wealth. But when he comes back, his father restores him. His father still gives him the authority of whatever wealth is still left. That is a sign of complete forgiveness. And the second thing, church, that we need to know or we need to understand about our father this morning is he's a father that forgives completely. Between you and I, for some reason, we, we, we forgive with T's and C's. We forgive with, you know, terms and conditions. That's not how it works with our father. Our father forgives completely. And the reason why I'm stressing this point is if you, you might be sitting there, you might be feeling ashamed, maybe there's, 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 there's things that you've done and you feel, no, God surely cannot forgive. I'm telling you this morning, he's a father that forgives and he forgives completely. And that's the, that's the one thing that we need to understand, that the father forgives me completely. The third thing we see about the father's heart is that he loves unconditionally. The father loves unconditionally. So what do I mean by that? 
imagine if someone comes to you and says, you are dead, to, you are dead, you don't exist. How would you feel? I mean, honestly, think about it. How would you feel? You are dead to me, you don't exist, I'm writing you off. How would you honestly feel? That's what the son did to his father. By the son going to a father and saying, I want my wealth. I mean, think about it. For you to get your inheritance, the one that obviously is the custodian of your inheritance needs to pass on for you to inherit your inheritance. Now, if you ask for your inheritance while the, the, the person is still alive, what you're necessarily saying is, you're dead to me. And that's what the son did. But despite everything the son did, look at the love that the father bestows on this son. And the third thing, church, that we need to understand as, we, as, we, as we're trying to move segment three to align to God's truth is that God loves us. God loves us. And once again, anything that we've done, anything that you've done, doesn't scare him. Our father loves us. I love how in First uh, John verse 3 it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. So John writes lavish to make us understand that we've been lavished with God's love. In Psalms 103 verse 11, David says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So there's nothing that you have done and no way that you have been that can reduce God's love for you. It is infinitely greater than any human being. And then the last thing that we see from the scripture is that the Father transforms me. So what do I mean by that? The Father trans transforms me. So we understand that he's a Father that embraces, he's a Father that forgives completely, and he's a Father that loves us. But also fourthly, as he, as he embraces us, as he forgives us, as he bestows us with love, he actually transforms us. What does that mean? So for example, think about it. The son left home arrogant. He came back humble. He was transformed. The son left home self-centered, worried about him and his, um, his urges. He came back father-centered, thinking about his father. He came home in rags. The father gave him a robe. He came home barefoot. The father gave him sandals. The father transforms us. And just to give you a bit of an example, if you read the, 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 the book of Acts, there's this story as you're reading Acts 7, um, there's this one guy called Stephen, or Stephen, or Stephen, whatever his name is. And uh, this guy is on fire for Jesus. He's just bold, he's sharing God's word, but he's so on fire that it catches the wrong attention. There was this Jewish um, leadership called the Sanhedrin. They didn't like what he was doing. So one time when he was actually um, sharing God's word, these guys just dragged him out of town and they began to stone him. And as you're reading Acts 7, it talks about how the guys that were stoning this guy that's on fire for Jesus, the guys would obviously take off their coats, put them down so that they can stone Stephen. But the Bible says the people that did that laid their feet or laid their coats on a young man's feet called Saul. This young man we can see from scripture was like a Christian hunter. Like anything that just said Christian, he hated it. He just, once again, he just, uh, I think if you read verse, um, if you read Acts 9, it talks about he would be breathing murderous threats against Christians. 
Who was this guy? This guy was, this guy was learned. He studied through the best religious teacher you can think of. Um, at some point, he mentions himself as the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was an intelligent guy. Murdered so many Christians. But then what happened? He meets Jesus Christ. He gets transformed. The same verse that we read, Ephesians 1, was written by the same guy couple of years back was the one persecuting Christians. In church, the point I'm trying to make this morning is the father transforms. He's a father that embraces us. He's a father that forgives us completely. He's a father that loves us. And when we fully understand it, we are transformed. In church, these four things will help us shift segment three towards segment two. Because church, if we can't fully embrace that God is our father, like I said as we begin, we will have an identity crisis. So church, this morning, how do you respond? So church, I believe there's actually two decisions you need to make this morning. So decision one, if we go back to the younger son, when he was in that pigsty, you know, it was smelly, it was dirty, the son actually had two options. Option one was make the pigsty more comfortable, but the reality is he's still stuck in the pigsty. Or option two, he said, this is not for me. I need to go back to my father. And I think my challenge for us this morning is, despite whether your upbringing was great, despite whether your, your, your father was absent, I think the challenge for us this morning is to walk away from the pigsty of sin, walk away from a pigsty of identity crisis, walk away from a pigsty of anxiety, Walk away from a pigsty of arrogance, pick ourselves up, and run to our Father. And that's the challenge that I'd love to live um, to you guys this morning um, as I pray for us. Would Would you please stand? If we can just close our eyes this morning. I think like what I just highlighted now, I don't want to just miss this opportunity. And I still, I I really felt as I was prepping this message that the biggest response this morning is people this morning saying, I'm tired of this pigsty that I find myself in and I want to run to my father. And if that is you with our eyes closed, would you just lift up your hand? I would really love to pray for you this morning. If you're tired of this pigsty and you want to run to your father this morning, I do see the hands. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Father, we we come before you this morning. And Father, you see the hands that are lifted this morning. And Father, we, we say thank you first and foremost that you are a loving Father. And Father, we say thank you that through Christ Jesus that we are adopted. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And Father, this morning as we just listened to your word, Father, we, we repent And Father, we want to run to you because, Father, your word shows us that you're a father that embraces us. Your word shows us that you forgive us completely. Your word shows us that you love us. And Father, from this day on, Father, we want to carry a new identity, an identity, Father, where we understand that we are loved, that we are chosen, and that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And Father, I commit this entire church into your hands. I commit everyone this morning as we're going through this journey that Father, week by week, as we're going through our devotions, as we're going through the different connect group notes and here on a Sunday, 
completely rewrite our DNA and give us a new identity, an identity of heaven. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So church, for those that lifted their hands, um, we've got a team this morning that would love to pray with you. I'd really encourage you, please don't run off. would love to pray with you. For everyone else, if you want to make use of our uh, tithing and offering boxes, they're on the door if you want to make use of that. And then for everyone else, please do enjoy a cup of coffee. Have a lovely day and God bless. Amen.